Hi, welcome back, y'all. We are to the end of February. I can't believe how quickly this month has really um, gone by. I can't believe it's the end of February. We're going into March, and I'm really excited for what's coming up in March, but we still have, um, well, I'm still currently in February. Y'all will hear this in March, but um, concluding our Black History series and so I'm really, this is kind of a full circle moment. So on episode three, we spoke with Ural and Buford Evans. And um, today I am speaking to their daughter, Robbie Brock. And um, she's going to share her story, like kind of picking up a little bit where her parents left off, sharing her story of how she's living out the legacy that they began um, back in the 60s. So I am really excited to introduce you all to her and for you all to hear her story. So y'all, let's take a pause and welcome Miss Robbie Brock. All right, y'all. So welcome Miss Robbie to the We Just Talking podcast. So welcome, Robbie. And I guess introduce yourself a little bit to, to our audience. Hi, Taya. It's so good to talk to you again. I am Tia's long-lost cousin from Atlanta, <laughs> and I'm so excited just to be here because we are. We're just real folks having real conversation about real things. You know what? It's so true, and I, uh, I'm going to tell you, I didn't recognize the um, the need for these type of conversations, and mm-hmm. um, as friends have been listening back over the past few weeks to like, you know, our parents' stories, they're like, wow, this needs to be told. These stories need to be heard. And yeah. I didn't recognize how much of a void there was until like I started doing this and people are like, thank you, keep doing it. And wow. um, so I'm glad that you're here today because um, we get to have a full circle moment in this conversation um, because it's an extension of, the conversation with your parents and um, how they shared, you know, what they were fighting for and the legacy that um, they were trying to set in place for mm-hmm. you, for me, like, you know, for us and for the generations to come. And um, so I'm excited to kind of get into it a little bit here. Um, yeah. So one thing, one thing that your parents shared was like, of course, how they were very involved in the civil rights movement and the nonviolent movement, how really they're a part of history because they, yeah. each, uh, you know, march with Dr. Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. And um, I, we kind of laughed because they said, you know, every year uh, we would get up on Martin Luther King's birthday and have breakfast. And we would make yeah. the kids sit down and, you know, have a devotion. And then watch the parades and kind of learn a little bit about it. They said, y'all, y'all were not here for it. <laughs> we were not always um, the most cooperative audience. Uh-huh. Not always the most cooperative. But um, I mean, because see, it was the kind of thing where um, it was in, in my grandmother's house, there was always the picture of Jesus and Dr. King. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was just the kind of um, household it was. But, you know, my parents were about a Dr. King holiday long before it was actually a legal holiday. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, when I just think back over, over those years in, in context, it was, it was, oh my God, here we go again. Yeah. Because it was such a distant, just for them, it was right there in the moment. Yes. Right. But for us, it was just distant history. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of hard to, or at the time, let me say that at the time, it was kind of hard to really have that same, you know, that same passion, that same commitment. The emotion to it. Yeah. Yeah. To really be tied to it the way that they were. You know what? It's true that you say that you say that. And that's one thing I think about. It's like they tell us stories about Mm -hmm. things that they did. And I just had this thought right now. I was like, they might as well have been reading us Bible stories. (laughs) Because that's how far like it felt. (laughs) And I'm like, no, this is what we did. This is not a story that we're making up to tell you. We actually were living through this stuff. Yeah. And so exactly yeah and so um I know that had to have stuck with you and um as we were talking you were kind of sharing a little bit about um about growing up with them as your parents and how like you know they influenced you all and wanted you all to be um kind of involved so how did that what they did right their involvement in the community their involvement in the fight for equality how did that influence you into your adulthood it's amazing because and i'm sure to you you've experienced this as well but you don't really think about the influence per se you think about this is who we are and this is what we do yeah and yeah so you don't really give it a lot of thought per se but um I mean, I remember as a teenager because, I mean, my parents were always involved in some type of community um, aspect. So, of course, you know, you're like, oh, my God, it's Saturday. I get to sleep in. And it's like, no, we're walking 20 miles today to raise the money for the March of Dimes. You know, (laughs) I don't need a dime. I mean, you know, I think we're teenagers, right? Yeah. I'm the oldest of, of our crew so you know I was yeah. I was yeah but it was just the kind of thing where because we were raised with an attitude of gratitude mm-hmm. and we to understand early that we were blessed to be a blessing yeah and yeah and those are the kind of values that you don't necessarily think about it per se um as influence or legacy you just this is who we are and this is what we do. And so I do, I remember walking that that first March of Dimes walk. And I remember my parents saying, there's nothing wrong with you. You're a healthy kid and you can walk these 20 miles. And then of course, you know, you had to hear that story. When I had to walk to school. <laughs> you know? yeah. It was yeah. cold, my shoes had holes in them. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, so you should be thankful that you can walk for these kids. And it was just, this is just who we are. This yeah. is what we You know what? And and I think when I think about like legacy and what, how did it influence you? What did it teach you? I don't think it was a lot of times of them telling us, this is yeah. what it is. This is how it made me feel. But more like modeling things. 
Yes. This yes. is what, so like you said, this is who we are and this is what we do. Like my mom yes. is super generous. Like if anybody's having a baby, she is crocheting them blankets <laughs> or like, like if she has, if she has money to help somebody that needs help, then right. like, you know, she'll pass it on. And so she never outwardly was just like, you know, this mm -hmm. is what it is. It's just, I guess, modeling a servant's heart, having a servant's heart is what it is. Yes. Yes, yeah. and and understanding that no man is an island unto himself. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's important. It's very, very important when we start to talk about um, legacy and how will my children, my grandchildren remember me? Mm -hmm. What about me? Yes, so, and so that segues into what I was going to say because you are a mom, you are a grandmother, and so now you are molding generations to come and so as a parent what does that look like for you interestingly enough it it's so funny to you because it does it looks a lot like this is where we're going to volunteer this is what we're going to do and I mean just even on a practical level because my granddaughter is seven years old mm -hmm. but we started teaching her early on. Christmas is coming, and her birthday is also in December. Your mm. birthday, Christmas is coming, but until you donate what you have from this closet, from this toy corner, then you need to understand because there's another little girl that needs what you have. Wow. So that's very a very practical aspect that we started very very young with our children, and but even from a from just a practical perspective, um, I remember when my youngest daughter, she was in maybe fourth, fifth grade, and uh, she came home. We were really happy, you know, local elementary school type thing. And she says, Mom, I want to be a Girl Scout. And I was thinking, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, okay, we'll do that. So we started researching and found out there was not a local Girl Scout troop in our area. Oh, really? So yeah, so I started one for her. Oh wow, well that's exciting. Yeah, and it was it was it was great because that was that opportunity day. You have to be the change that you want to see. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't, then you're more than able to create it. And um, it was really kind of interesting because so many times it just takes one person to say, "Hey, this is what we're gonna do." And people will rally behind you. It was mm -hmm. it was a great experience. I mean, mm -hmm. not just for, but for her, so many other girls. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a shout out, of course, for Girl Scouts too. <laughs> I was a Girl Scout. I was a Girl Scout. It's still went to high school. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we were Girl Scouts until we went to high school, and mm -hmm. um, and then it wasn't cool to be a Girl Scout. I'm like, mom, yeah. Can we quit? Like, do I? I don't want to go to meetings anymore. I don't want to cross over into anything else. Like, none of my friends are Girl Scouts, but like, um, being young mm -hmm. as a Girl Scout, like, you learn a lot of things. You learn like about friendships, yes. and um, for us, honestly, um, being in the Girl Scouts actually helped us to not just be in our bubble at home yeah and um one thing that I kind of talked about in all of them is 
how Scottsboro is was very separated, not segregated, but separated. Okay. Right. And so um my mom had us involved. And so like it was probably our troop might have had like 10 or 10 girls in it, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe maybe a little bit more like you know it kind of fluctuates oh yeah. yeah right um and so it would be like at any given time it would be me and Dana and then mm-hmm. probably one other black friend that might have been a girl scout and then all the other girls were white girls right but mm-hmm. like it allowed us to not just be in our bubble in our neighborhood and yep. to be like um involved in other spaces mm-hmm. and exactly. so so my mom always she always had us in girl scouts and going to elk and probably because she was you know that's what she was in she was in girl scouts so y'all i'm putting y'all in girl scouts y'all are gonna do this yeah and so but like i was thinking about this and i think we talked about it a little bit like just being super aware um I feel like I was always kind of aware that me and my sister a lot of times were the only ones that looked like us in there. Like, well, how come it's just the two of us? (laughs) And so, but it kind of prepares you for the world also. Definitely. Um, Because in the world, we're not the majority, we're the minority. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of prepared, I guess, to walk into other spaces where not everybody is going to look like you. And so, yeah, yeah, it teaches you to be able to interact um, on a level where you don't feel like inferior or less than maybe. Yes. Um, But like, these are my equals. These, you know, we're, we're girls, we're in the Girl Scouts and we do the same thing and we belong in the same rooms together. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But, um, because it's so important that we start and, you know, and of course I can say moms and grandmoms, but like you're saying, the women of influence in our communities to, to be those role models, that is so important because so many times we don't know, you know, who's watching our lives, who's learning this one thing, or, um, I mean, it's just so important for us to lead by example mm-hmm. and that's not about um, the dissertation. It really is about the doing. And um, it was just so important to me, especially, of course, having girls. And there's a, there's a big age gap with my girls. There's eight years, actually. So it was just so important to me that they were always, always aware that they had a plan, they had a purpose, they had a reason. God is not a God of accident. And so when he puts you in these uh, situations, these spaces, these places, you have to be comfortable knowing that that didn't come by surprise to God. It might've come by surprise to you mm-hmm. that you're in place or that these doors have opened for you, but you have to know that you deserve to be there. You're, you deserve to be there you're worthy of whatever the situation, whatever the calling. And we just have, we just have to sow that seed into the, mm-hmm. the, women, especially coming behind us that mm-hmm. you are enough, you are worth every single opportunity and you can rise to every occasion. 
Yes. You know, I think as as women, I saw somebody post something about mm-hmm. um like women's conferences and like speaking into the lives of women. And it's like, um, I want to go to a conference where it equips me to go out and be show up and be present in the world and be able to fight battles and speak for myself. I don't want to go to like a, a conference where it's just like feel good, like, oh, you're beautiful, you're this and that. Like, and that's exactly what you're saying. And and it's so true that we as women don't always get that encouragement. We get the encouragement of like, you know, oh, you're you're pretty, you're this, you're that, but like we need the same encouragement of how to show up in a space and yes. how to be strong and how to how to speak for yourself you know yeah. and yes. because uh, our voices sometimes can get silenced mm-hmm. exactly silenced. and i think and then that's twofold because when you're a woman and then a woman of color sometimes you're silenced even more you're yes. not valued a little as much oh you know and so i appreciate kind of the world that we're in now yes where um, it's saying black girl yes you're beautiful mm-hmm. black girl you have a voice yes you know and you can be heard and um, as I was talking to my mom last week she didn't have that growing up right and I and I appreciated that like now it's there so kind of in in this new it's not a new age but uh, like I think it's a new, a new awakening. I like Maybe. that. Yes. That. Yes. <laughs> in in this new awakening that we have, where it is giving, it's empowering people, it's empowering yes. women to um, to to speak up and stand up and to show up. And I I like how you said, you know, you wanted your girls to be, and you wanted your girls to be that, and now in turn, your granddaughter is going to be that. So, yes. They always talk about generational curses, right? Of how like breaking these chains, but yeah. you're building like a, a a legacy, really. Like for lack of calling it anything else, a generation of women who know what it is to be involved in the community, know what it is to like be a part of a sisterhood, because that's what Girl Scouts is. It's, you know, it's a sisterhood, and it's teaching you life skills also. Mm-hmm when you don't even recognize it, like, oh, I'm just earning this badge here. But no, this is teaching you how to have different type of skills and how to be involved in your community and help other people out. Like, it's not just about self all the time. Not all the time. Mm-hmm. And because I think that's something else to you that, that's been lost, especially in our community, is that it is okay to take care of you. Mm-hmm. And I think we're striking a new balance Um especially in this upcoming generation. Because like you're saying, I mean, women have carried the load on a, and Black women have carried a load for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I am so thankful that we are coming to a conversation now even to say it's okay to take care of you. Because the reality is if I don't take care of me, how can I take care of you? If I can't take care of my own, then how can we take care of a community? So 
it's it's so vitally important that we're able to connect all the dots for mm-hmm. wholeness. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. and, and it is true. Like, if we don't look out, not necessarily look out, but take care of our ourselves. Um, and as Black women, that's the mm-hmm. other thing that we have always had to be is the strong person and yeah. have the strength to like carry the weight like of of the family like be sometimes the backbone of the family like there is the, the husband is there but the woman is there a lot of times like you know dealing with all the the weight <laughs> like the weight of things and um yeah and then like you know um I feel like I, I was having this conversation I think with my small group the other day it's like you know as black women we have always been told to also say it's okay I'm okay I'm fine like yes. you know and push our feelings sometimes aside to cater mm-hmm. to other people mm-hmm. and so I appreciate what you just said like yes we too have to take a step back and take care of ourselves because if you're not yep. old you can't come into any situation and bring anything of value into any situation exactly it, exactly you know mm-hmm and the the one thing that um, I was adamant about with my daughters, and I mean, my youngest daughter is twenty three now, so I don't have any babies. <laughs> <laughs> Grandbabies. <laughs> yeah, but to to realize that life in and of itself will give you enough baggage, so mm-hmm. let's try to take as little as possible from our house because. I mean, you you will know once you leave that that covering um, of home and the people that love you, the people that care, life will give you the baggage that you'll have to figure out down the road. So mm-hmm. it's just so important that while we have that time, while our daughters are young, while they're, you know, in that very impressionable stage, while they're soaking it all up, that we're speaking life, that we're speaking those positive confessions that you, because what the one thing that I love with my granddaughter is who is mama's smartest granddaughter ever. And she needs to hear that now. Except, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. It's so important to speak life um, because this time with our children, our grandchildren, it's, it's so limited. It really, really is. So we have to do what we can while we can. And words God matter. Was, yeah, he'll do the rest. Yeah, words matter. And when, I mean, I think I was telling you, I don't have kids, clearly. I, I have a dog. But um, <laughs> when I look at my friends' kids, like my friends have kids and things like that, you know, they, they pick up on everything. One, they pick up on oh. everything. So that's yeah. one way we know that words matter. But like in seeing my friends raise their kids, I also see, like you said, the limited window that you have of influence over them. Because once yeah. they really get into school and start making friends, yes, that influence starts to to weigh heavier than mm-hmm. the things that you know that you teach them. And so having that foundation and having that knowledge of who they are and where they come from and what their values are is so important because then once they start getting involved in the world, they have a moral compass to also point them back 
And if people are saying negative things to them or about them, they mm -hmm. remember those affirmations that you speak over, over, you know, over them every day. Everything exactly. really are talking about like, um, how, you know, our parents came up in a time of working through segregation, through integration, being involved in the fight. And then like their kids, which would be you and me, we're the kids of them, right? Like yep. our, we came in like a weird middle stage where people didn't show, I, I, I like to say they didn't show their slip, <laughs> like, you know, their slip wasn't showing. <laughs> Like right. they they kept all those things kind of quiet, you know. People yeah. didn't. They might think certain things, you know, how we talked about. You, they might think certain things, but when you go outside, yeah. you don't say those things. Mm -hmm. But now the kids that are coming up now are in a world of where people just say the first thing that um comes to Come, their mind. Yeah. What comes and, up? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it might even just be a fleeting thought, but they say it. <laughs> really? Really? And so, you know, kind of like having young women and, and children now growing up in that world, mm -hmm. um, how have you helped them deal with those type of things? It's, it's really interesting to you because I didn't I guess I didn't really realize that my children, my sister's children, have more in common with my parents, with their grandparents, in this particular social atmosphere that we're living in. And I don't think that really, really hit home to me until um, I supported and encouraged, my parents supported and encouraged our youngest two children to actually march in the Black Lives Matter march yeah. when yeah when it came to Atlanta mm -hmm. and they this was just a couple of years ago so they were you know 20 21 mm -hmm. because that's when the reality really hit home to you why why are my children able to relate more so to my parents in this type of climate mm -hmm. now of course you know, before they left home. And, and, you know, this was right at COVID and this kind of thing. Um, you know, of course, my parents gave them all the practical, you know, the practical, this is how you march. And this yeah. is how you <laughs> yeah. Kind of thing. yeah. And um, it was just absolutely crazy because we left our parents' house. I dropped them off, you know, at the, the meeting point. Mm -hmm. And literally, I... I was driving along the parallel roads, taking pictures oh, of uh -huh. with my granddaughter in the backseat. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. And it just, it was in that moment that I realized I didn't live in this world. I, I mean, I grew up a child of the 80s where, like you're saying, I think the civil rights movement had become not so much a thing of the past, but had that social impact where... Mm -hmm. Regardless of what you say around your dining room table, this is what's socially acceptable. Yes. This is how we cooperate. This is how we interact with the people outside of our homes. Mm -hmm. But by the time our children, my children came of age, like you're saying, 
that that national value had changed, not just from, you know, my dining room table to yours, but the national American values had changed. Mm -hmm. For as much as we were able to, um, like you're saying, uh, keep our slips in place. I like, I do. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But now it's going to be hard to beat back a lot of this stuff under the rocks from, from where it came. So mm -hmm. I do that. That is so sad to me. It's, it's, it's disheartening to me, but it was in that moment of BLM where I was like, yes, you're going to march and your voice is going to be heard. And by the way, don't forget your mask. You know, but I mean, it's so they're living in a whole new experience yes. that I can't relate to. So signs and sanitizer. I'm like, oh my God, what's happening? Yes. And yeah. so how was that experience for them though? Like being involved in it, like and out there making having their voices heard, using their voices. Yes, it was life-changing. I think that was the moment where they realized now it's our turn. Mm -hmm. we're, we're the adults now. I mean, granted, you know, we're in our early 20s. We're the adults now. But I think that was that empowering moment for them to realize that it is up to us now. What are we going to do about it? How are we going to pursue all of the buzzwords now, the diversity and equity and inclusion and, and all of that. Mm -hmm. But I think that was much like I'd heard my parents talk about, that was where the age of innocence was over. Mm -hmm. As um, as you and I mentioned, you know, social media, there's nothing that you can't see or hear now. Absolutely and, not. Yeah, exactly. And the anger of seeing those clips of, you know, police brutality or, I mean, all of the other injustices, you know, that come to mind, mm -hmm. but that's where I also think as children of the eighties, we were also shielded from that because yeah, we didn't have that type of access to national mm -hmm. border to border, coast to coast, but now our kids, they see it all. They hear it all. Yeah. So, yeah. And and I, growing up in in the eighties and the nineties and the early two thousands, um, it was a bit of a bubble. And so when Black Lives Matter and you know people started marching in it was twenty in twenty twenty, you know, seeing the police brutality, I felt yeah. like I had been like you said in a bubble. And I'm like, wait a minute, yeah, I thought we were a little bit beyond this. I thought we were past this, like people being treated differently because mm -hmm. of their skin color or like just being targeted just because like mm -hmm. and so when it started happening I mean at 38 39 years old I'm like what is hold on yeah. this what is, is where we are this is where we are it's 2020 how yeah. how are we taking steps backwards not forwards yeah. like I, and I uh I felt like we are we going back into segregation again like that's how it almost failed like and I'm like we should be beyond this 
he should be well beyond this, especially mm-hmm. because the world we live in today is such a melting pot. Like people who are sitting trying yeah. to like say, oh no, pure white, pure black, pure Mexican, pure whatever, right? Right. We, we don't live in that world anymore. <laughs> like it is no. a melting pot of people. Is the now for now for me personally, the rude awakening to the fact that like you're saying, we thought we were so much farther along, you know, mm-hmm. as, as a nation, as as, a, as Americans. Um, I started uh, with the voting rights program as a as a career fed. Um, I started with the voting rights program uh, September of two thousand eight, mm-hmm. and that was right at the first Obama um, administration or election. Mm-hmm. And this was a job that I mean, as a voting rights program coordinator, this was a job I really, really wanted. I thought as a public servant. This is it. I have arrived. I can really make a difference. I can really, um, you know, believe in the things that the federal government stands for. And I mean, so much so to you that I applied for the job the first time and didn't get it and applied a second time. Okay. I just really felt like this is it. This is my calling. The civil rights started right here, you know, off of Auburn Avenue. We're the birthplace. I just felt like this was my time. And um, see it in the years that followed, it was absolutely horrifying to me. I was the first person that looked like me. I was the youngest person that looked like me. Um, it was absolutely horrifying to be in the field. In, and when I say in the field, of course, um, referencing states like Mississippi and Alabama, where I grew up in Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta's a metropolitan city. Yeah. So to actually go into some of these small towns and to experience the mentality of um, not even the 70s, but what I would think my parents had experienced, you know, in in that 50s and 60s type movement. (laughs) But so much so, I was so unfamiliar with this hardcore racial um tension that literally Tia I would come home I mean practically in tears and have to ask my parents what does this mean or what does that mean and if this happens and if that happens and literally it was it was learning the same thing that my parents had to learn back in the 60s so election night I made sure I was in, um, I believe, out a little town outside of Vicksburg, Mississippi. But I and I now I might not be the sharpest knife in the block, but I'm a quick study. Okay, mm-hmm. parents told me, "Hey, you need to make sure that you befriend the people that look like you in case da 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 da." My husband was on standby because I flown. I'd flown into Jackson and drove over to uh, Vicksburg, but I was like, hey, in the event I can't get to the airport, you need to be on the road to come and get me because we have no idea what might erupt Mm -hmm. after the election. And I did. I, at that hotel, I made friends with the maids, with uh, everybody that looked like me so that if I had to leave that hotel, I could get to some place of safety. And even though I was management, I was the supervisor on site. 
to you, I never experienced anything like the response of those election results in anything that looked like professional federal government. Mm. And that was when I realized, oh my God, the world really has not changed. We have simply been able to put lipstick on a pig. <laughs> lipstick but, on a pig. Exactly. And But the reality is, if it looks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, it sounds like a duck, it's a duck. Okay. It is a duck, yeah. It was It was probably like a willing, willing full ignorance that we were kind of trying to hold on to. Probably so. Yeah, but, like, yeah. you can't ignore it though. No, it's over because it was so hurtful to me. Um, because again, my youngest daughter's uh, 23 and, you know, all her life, she wanted to <clears throat> major in education, be a teacher. But her clinicals, she had such a racist experience up in North Georgia that literally she decided, I love these kids, but I can't participate in this system. And we have just talked about um, through the years how so many racial encounters, even in our professional lives, in our workplaces, in our colleges, that have caused people of color to change their life choices, their life destinies over racial incidents. And that simply just, it just ought not to be. It, not it's, it's There's no reason for it to be. That's the thing. Because when it comes to employment, when it comes to being professional, like there should just be a yes. standard. Yes. A standard. And if yes. you meet this standard, then there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do your job. Exactly. Exactly. And the people, the people that are at the top, older <laughs> white men, though, older white men. Yeah. And so, like, you start looking at management and upper management, and there's no diversity in there. So, of course, if there's no diversity in the upper management and the upper leadership, mm -hmm. then the people that are trying to come into the door are not going to get a fair shake. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and depending on where you are in the country, it might be a little bit different in some places, but if we look at the mass majority of it, mm -hmm. and so it's just, it's crazy to me because we don't think that we can be in these spaces. And it's because a lot of times there hadn't been women and then women of color on top of that in these spaces, like um, Casey's in the architecture field. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, she said it's like 1% of More. black women. Yeah. yeah. Like it's yeah. such a small More. percent um, mm -hmm. of black women in, in the architectural field. Yeah. And so it's like, well, it's time for us to get in these spaces. It's, it's time for us okay. to like shake it up. And so it's, we have to show the generation, your girls, your granddaughter, the kids that are coming that you deserve to be in these spaces and yes. pursue it. Like, you know, per have them pursue it. And mm -hmm. if you recognize a gift in them at, at a young age, then like, yeah. you know, lean into that gift and encourage them in that gift so mm -hmm. that as they get older, they feel like they can do it. You and know? that they're comfortable in their own skin. Mm-hmm.
yeah exactly because that and and that goes back to i guess why my passion is just really um with so many young young girls and young women because um as my as my parents would say you know i know where i am on the life cycle and i don't have nearly as many years in front of me you know that whole story yeah uh -huh. <laughs> but because it's the kind of thing where we have to expose them to the fact that life is bigger than the street you grew up on. Mm -hmm. So we need to have, they, our children, our young ladies, especially, they need to be okay being the only one that looks like them yeah. in the room because mm -hmm. then you don't waste your time with the culture shock of, Oh my God, I'm the only one you're beyond that. Mm -hmm. So that's why we need to, like you're saying, expose them to ice skating as well as roller skating. Expose them to hockey as well as basketball. Expose them to the High Museum of Art as well as dip and paint. There, there mm -hmm. has to be balance, but we have to expose them where they're going to come to a reality to understand. I might be the only one. When we vacation, it's okay if Everybody doesn't look like you. And this is so funny to you because I love travel. We love travel. We, that, that's our family um, our family logo. Have bags, we'll travel. <laughs> and so, you know, in our travels, you know, we've realized maybe we don't stay in the places where everybody looks like us. Maybe we don't go to the places where people look like us. And so there's this thing now it's, it's kind of like an inside family joke where it's like, oh my God, there's some black people over there. I, you know? Yeah. But either way, you have to be comfortable being the only one. Yes. I can't help but think, though, like, when do we have to stop thinking that? Like, I try not to notice. I try not yeah. to notice. But you um, but I can't not notice it. Like, I can't not notice, oh, well, I'm the only Black person in this room. But I also see the flip side of it. I also notice it for white people, though. <laughs> and I'm like, do they, do they think the same thing that we do? Like, oh, I'm the only white person in this room. Like, how did we walk? <laughs> they like, do. Is it the same? No, I promise you they do. And <laughs> yes, they do. And that's been a great, great thing about um, being a part of this National Voting Rights Program. Mm -hmm. as, now, of course, as the regional coordinator, I was responsible for uh, Texas back to the East Coast. Mm -hmm. So for me, a lot of the um, political issues were, they were, they were racial, it was just a black and white voter suppression or whatever the case might be. Mm -hmm. Um say on the west coast there was the emphasis was not on so much the racial injustices as it was um minority languages not being represented mm -hmm. in the vote program so i have gotten i've learned so much about so many other cultures for example now mind you again i grew up born and bred right here in atlanta Mm -hmm. I thought, well, Chinese is a language and it's just Chinese. But I had no idea there were so many different dialects of the Chinese language. Mm -hmm. and 
Um, I also had an opportunity to work with um, a small group of Native Americans out of uh, Mississippi and mm -hmm. how their is a dying language. It's not a written language. So that's the type of exposure that until you really have the opportunity to operate in circles that large, mm -hmm. where there's type of diversity and where people are not afraid to talk about the, the racial issues or the um, a, a lot of the things that we're not going to talk about on the six o'clock news. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful. It's it's such a blessing to you because that's when you really realize we are so much more alike than we are different. Yeah. And yeah. So whether you're talking about on the reservation or, you know, the urban experience versus the rural experience, people are people. And until yeah. we come to a place of trying to get to know one another on that simple premise, we're going to have what we have right now. The discourse. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and that's a great segue into mm -hmm. one of the programs that you were telling me about that you got involved with in your community, which was the Be the Bridge program. Yes. And so yes. Um, if you don't mind, share a little bit about be the bridge and how you became involved with them actually um again i think there are just certain things that we we hear the call we hear the clarion call to participate in and um outside of of course my 40-hour gig i actually found out this was a neighborhood initiative mm -hmm. and uh, be the bridge is a uh, faith-based a Christian community organization that was started by, let me make sure, uh, Latasha Morrison mm -hmm. a, a few years ago. But basically, like we talk about with women, um, she was able to have access to a very diverse group of close friends. And they came together, let's, let's have real talk about the real issues. And out of that dining room experience grew an entire a community grassroots effort of every community has to acknowledge where we are as a country and how, like you're talking about church, how that 11 o'clock hour is still, for the most part, the most segregated hour in America. But um, Be the Bridge, we would meet um, at a neighbor's house and there was a full curriculum that uh, discussion guide, discussion groups, and we would have real talk about those issues. And so your question a few minutes ago about do white people feel the same? It was amazing to me, like you're talking about, especially to be in a room with the older white men, how much, um, to some degree, how much guilt they felt historically, but yet, how they would say, but I didn't do it to you or I didn't do it to them. So why do people feel this way? And why do people hate me? It was such an opportunity to really hear from that side of the room. Mm -hmm. But as well, it was, I think, just as shocking to a lot of them, especially once you start to talk about the age divide, how we have to use so many coping skills, how we have to always answer that question of when will it be enough? 
-hmm. you know, we've attained degrees, we've attained a certain tax bracket, we've attained certain positions, um, you know, we've made it to the White House. So in their minds, so many of them to believe, well, you all have arrived. You, mm -hmm. you all collectively, people of color, you've arrived. What's the problem now? So it was such an awesome, awesome experience. And um, I mean, not just the learning, but the sharing. Um, some Sundays we would leave, look, Bob's house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, literally his name was Bob, he and his wife, Gail. But literally some people would just leave there in tears. Mm. Some people, I mean, just the, the hardcore shock of it. Um, a lot of our neighbors that were from the West Coast, apparently they didn't know that, oh yeah, I've got this great job and I'm moving to Atlanta, but that they would still be profiled or followed home depending on where they lived. And so a lot of that reality for a lot of our neighbors from the West Coast was a lot. It was a lot to handle. Um, but it, it was it was an invaluable, priceless experience. And um, we, I think the curriculum is maybe 10 or 12 weeks or so. Mm. And, yeah, so it's, so it's an extensive period of time. But it does. It brings home that awareness that the change has to start with you. Yeah. So, yeah. So if you're in this community and this goes back to the faith-based part, what about loving your neighbor? Can you, can we just wave at one another at the mailbox? Mm -hmm. Start you know? there. Yeah. Let's just start at mm -hmm. the place. It's not so painful. But... Um, uh I think because I was looking up the Be the Bridge, you know, and how they say that um, it says we exist to empower people and culture toward racial healing, equity and reconciliation. And I think that's so huge because regardless of how many years have passed since slavery and since civil rights and since we thought we were OK and since 2020, regardless yeah. of how many years and how many days have passed. None of it is ever going to be right or healed or understood unless people start to sit down and talk to each other. Exactly. And see, like you said, that we all have the same struggles. We all have the same insecurities. We all have the same worries. And, yeah. um, but like sometimes we just want to like keep to ourselves and we don't want to learn from the next person because if we learn from them, we have to recognize that they're another human. We have to humanize them, right? Exactly. And then we feel bad once once I humanize you, then I really feel bad about how I, the things that I might've said or how I treated you or, you know? Yeah. And so I feel like more people need to be talking about things like this be the bridge, you know? Because yes, we want to be a whole healthy functioning people group, a whole healthy functioning mm -hmm. community, a country, really, you know? Yes. And most of us do. Most yes. of us do. Most of most. us, right? And that's one thing about this new generation coming up. Like, you know, they, they're about it. <laughs> and yeah. 
But like a lot of them want to see better. I mean, of course, there's still like people that are raised to not want to intermingle and like, you know, keep to yourself. But that's not the reality. And if you want that world, you're probably going to have to go live under a rock somewhere. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and we're people of faith. We believe in the Lord. We have a relationship with God. We go to church, you know, and how you're saying it's the most segregated hour in the country, which is yes. ridiculous. It's yes. so ridiculous. And because like growing up in Alabama, we went to black church, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, we go to the black church, right? And yep. then when we moved to El Paso, we went to a white church because <laughs> our pastor was white. Like, yep. And now, <laughs> then we moved, I moved to Dallas and we went to another white church when we first started going. And then we found this church that we go to now. It's called Social Dallas. Okay. Okay. And, and so like our pastor is black, but his wife is white. So like, exactly. So now what do you call it? Yeah. We just go to church. Like we right. go to church, right? Right. And, the thing about it is, is I look at social, mm-hmm. I look at my church, I look at the worship team, like the people that are in the worship team, the people that are like on leadership, that are leading connect groups or small groups, yep. and even mm-hmm. just the congregation. And it is very diverse. It's such a diverse church, right? Very good. And if you think about it, that's what heaven's going to look like. Yes. There's yes. not a white heaven, a black heaven, a Hispanic heaven, an Asian heaven. Like, we all gonna be together. So why are we segregated down here? <laughs> and that's that's the 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 questions to you that we talk about. Where it's like, okay, let's just look at this from a walking around perspective. Yeah. Because, like you're saying, one of the things we talked about in be the bridge is the church has to take some responsibility mm-hmm. for where we are and where we've been mm-hmm. and um and especially in america in the deep south because there was a time when it was very not only acceptable but expected that you would leave the church go participate in a lynching and then come back and really feel like you had done the will of god mm-hmm. but yet I mean, even when we look at Paul, I mean, Paul, of course, being, you know, the, I mean, responsible for spreading the gospel to the Gentiles. Even when we look at that, Tia, Paul thought he was doing the right thing until he came into a personal relationship on mm-hmm. the road. On the road and, to Damascus, yes. Yeah. So we need to stop. And of course, clearly, this is my soapbox issue, but we need to stop this foolishness of religion. And really do some soul searching about what that relationship really looks like. Mm-hmm. And because I've I've heard, and, and again, this was um, a young lady that was part of um, Be the Bridge. And that's what she talked about, um, how her parents loved God, loved their church, loved community. But their philosophy, their philosophy was, what does social justice have to do with my white Jesus and those those are the kinds of things that I'm talking about we all have to deal with mm-hmm. because there was even an older an older woman and I, this was something I never thought about to you she says you know I'm here I um I'm, 
gosh, to you, she must have been in her 70s, 80s. I mean, an, an older woman. Yeah. And she said, oh, I uh, was a believer for most of my adult life, but um, I decided I would become an atheist in my 60s or so. So I think that the fact that you all believe as a faith-based group and organization, that you're the only ones that can come to a place of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. I was floored. I'm, that was the one thing I took away from that meeting because I thought, let's be honest, if we could have figured this thing out, we would have done so already. Until mm -hmm. so we honestly tap into not just that concept of religion, but that concept of we all say we believe in a God who says, love your neighbor. Hey, mm -hmm. that we believe in a lot of things until it's time for us to walk it out. Mm hmm. You know, talk is cheap. We can talk about it all day long. All day, all day. And so that's why this group was, it was a faith-based or formed out of a faith-based um, dining room experience. But we've got to start in America in our churches. Well, the, and because we have to start in our churches yeah. because there's more churches per capita than yeah. anything. And we have to recognize that mm -hmm. our churches need to be diverse and need to talk about issues that are uncomfortable in yes. order to, to get that reconciliation amongst each other. And the problem with a whole lot of churches, like, especially in the South, mm -hmm. especially in the South, where it's like, it's just expected for you to do this. It is expected for me to get up every Sunday and go to church. Yes. It doesn't matter yes. if I'm receiving the word, if I'm learning anything, if I am raising my hand to worship when the music is playing. No, yes. I'm just supposed to be present there because that's what you do on a Sunday morning. You get up and you go to church and it's my religion. Yes. Right? In the yeah. Mm -hmm. But the Lord didn't teach us to be religious. That's what the Pharisees were. They were exactly. religious. And that's what Paul was. <laughs> religious, right? Exactly. And then he had that moment on the road to Damascus where he got knocked off and blinded. And that's when he learned, no, it's not about religion. It is about the relationship. Exactly. It's about the relationship. And how do you grow any relationship? You have to spend time in it. Exactly. You have to communicate. And I think, you know, if we start in the churches, and we start to understand what a relationship with God actually looks like. Yes. Then you start to have an internal transformation. Like you can't hold on to those negative thoughts. You can't hold on to like the discrimination because that's not who Jesus was. Exactly. And so if you're it's building relationship with the Lord that you want to look like and you want to know that you're going to spend eternity with him, then I need to start mirroring my life off of what the Lord looked like and exactly. give people a little bit of grace because he gave us grace and forgiveness. Yes, and and a little bit and a little bit of mercy along the way. Along the way, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. And because just like you're saying, especially in the South, there is there's a church on every corner. Every and corner. literally, literally every. There's corner. a church right across the street from my house right now. <laughs> there's a church on every corner. Yeah, yeah. But that's the one thing too that COVID also taught us. Mm -hmm. You know, where are we really, really operating in our faith in a brick and mortar building 
or are we going to really bring this thing home? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's one thing that I do. I, I genuinely love about this upcoming, um, th- this young adult generation is because like you're saying, they're calling it what it is and their understanding, I think going back to just the simplicity of it all is that, you know, it's not about the pomp and the circumstance. It's about how can I say that I love God and this is how, you know, we roll, if they would mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I do. I think they just, they're coming back to a place of we got to do better. And I think they're really, really, and, and again, even if we have to start with BLM and protests, they have embraced the we will not be silent mentality. Mm-hmm. We will silent. In all aspects. Yes. Yes, in all aspects. But it's it's just time. It's time. And um, because I do, I love uh, when the word says, you know, because when we get to heaven, there's going to be a number that no man can number. And when you start t- thinking about that mathematically and statistically, that's a pretty big number. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. Yes. So we, we, we've got to do better. We've got mm-hmm. to do well, I think also the the Lord is really stirring hearts right now, like in in a huge way. I- um, it wasn't long after we ended our Be the Bridge um, group that there was a uh, protest that wasn't far from um, our neighborhood, and there was you know a whole issue with uh, hiring practices and so on and so forth. But this, again, was when I thought about my parents because I thought um, when the young lady called me or sent me the email, she's like, hey, Robbie, there's a protest and da-da-da-da. You know about all the issues and so on and so forth. I was like, yeah, I know, I know. And she says, well, there's a protest, such and such and so. Are you going to be there? I said, honey, haven't you heard that we need the strength of the young and the wisdom of the elders? I am now an elder. I'm not carrying a sign and walking around out there because somebody's going to need to bail y'all out. (laughs) (laughs) But that goes back to exactly what we're saying with the elders or the people that have experienced, lived this life, been down this road. So there's something, there's so much value in what they, what they still bring to the table. But I just, I just know that we all have a lap of the race to work. Yeah. That has been assigned to us in our generation. Yeah. Yeah. Just to be able to yeah. be the support. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I, I feel like we, like you said, we all have our roles that we have to play. Yeah. And um, just trying to like getting older and learning what that looks like now from, from this age and from this perspective. And um, yeah. well, what do I bring to the table? How can I help? And I guess it's just ever evolving. It's ever evolving. It is. And, but I think we do have our best days ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And especially if, like I, like I said, our church is super diverse, but my church is really young. Let me not yeah. call them. They're young adults. Mm-hmm. have such a heart for the Lord. Yes. Bringing their friends to church with them. And in mm-hmm. turn, they're planting those seeds. Yes. And so like, it's not uncool to go mm-hmm. to church. 
Exactly. It's not That's uncool anymore. Yeah. You know? And and um and it just might be the age that I am where I'm closer in age to the pastors. Maybe that's what it is, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the things that the pastors are talking about feel like relatable and like real life things. Right. But right. the 25 year olds are also getting it because they're going through a different type of life than what we had to go through when we were 25. Things were not as tough. Things were not as heavy. Yeah. The things that they're having to deal with, I wasn't dealing with when I was 25. Let me tell you, it was just trying to figure out if I was going out tonight or not. Like it wasn't, it wasn't as heavy because social media wasn't looming over our head and we weren't seeing all the things that yeah. now. So sometimes I look at them and I'm like, how are they praising like this? Like you're 25. Like, how, are, how do you know how to praise the Lord with this much like emotion and power? Yes, and, and because they live in life. See, yeah. life is not easy. And so I commend them for being bold and saying, okay, yeah, I might have gone and hung out, but I'm here praising the Lord and posting about it and not being ashamed to yes. show that I'm in the Lord's house. Yes, exactly. And so um, that's why I feel like we have our best days ahead. Because mm -hmm. I feel like the Lord is going to really show up and show um, show out, for lack of a better word. <laughs> yeah. oh, I, I definitely agree. And, you know, if we think about it, um, you know, and we, as my dad would say, we recognize those patterns that have gone before us. And when we look at, I mean, Moses wasn't going to live forever. Mm -hmm. And Joshua. And, but Ironically, and this is something I thought about often, but Joshua was not was not the son of Moses. Moses had two sons, but Joshua wasn't one of them. Mm -hmm. So this goes back to what to what we're saying to you is we have to be able to understand when God is building community. That community might not look like you. Community might not be re DNA related to you. Mm -hmm. But we if we can all find our place where we're supposed to be, find our lane. Mm -hmm. God will bring all, God will bring the people. He will bring the people, the leadership. And it, it just goes back to, to that relationship. But I am, I'm so excited for these young people because like you're saying, and I think Tia, the, the pandemic really does also have a lot to do with that yeah. because they've had to, um, even in just talking to my daughter and um, my nephew, I mean, these are people that are under, like you're saying, under 25, and they do see things very differently. They're the 9-11 generation. They're the, mm -hmm. you know, school shooting generation, and now they're the COVID generation. So they don't hold on to their lives in the same, in the same mentality, I think, that, that we learn to do it. Mm -hmm. you know, we're the generation you know we we're, were the generation of you obtain the american dream it's abc and one two three and this is let me get a job a house a car yeah right, right. Yes. A, two kids a dog and you know three whatever the white but, ticket fence <laughs> yeah yes. yeah but when you think about um how much tragedy they have seen on a world scale i mean the end of a 20-year war this the the Middle East war or the Afghanistan war started when these babies were two. 
I mean, they, they were right at one and two years old. So in their minds, it does look very, very different. 20-year wars, 9-11, I mean, where people are killed thousands upon thousands upon thousands at a time. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you look at Sandy Hook and they just see the world and value their lives very differently. Mm -hmm. And um, just like we're talking about the the statistics, the as far as crime and and let us not talk about the mental health crisis, oh, you know, man. COVID. Yeah. So they are they're living a very very different um, experience than mm -hmm. than even we did. Yeah. 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 So they they had to come with a different set of uh, tools for their toolbox. Uh, a completely different set of tools. I hadn't yeah. thought about it. I hadn't thought about that, what you said. Like these 20 year olds don't know a world, really a world of peace. They yeah. don't know a world of peace. They, they, they know a world of fighting and, and trauma and like surviving. Yes. Where I think when I was young, it was the, uh, the I can't remember what they even called it. Desert Storm. Yes. Was, that was the only thing, but like, it was a blip on my radar. I was like, yeah. I was young. I was like in fourth grade, I want to say, fifth grade, mm -hmm. I think. I don't know. I don't know what this is. Is the world in? I really thought the world was ending, actually. <laughs> and then I was like, wait a minute, is this in the world? We're at war? <laughs> yeah, we can only hope. Come, King Jesus, come. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, let me grow up. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's a, it was a different experience. Yes, yeah. So I that that kind of put puts them into a little bit better perspective. Also, no wonder they were ready to get out here on twenty twenty because they were like, "It's our time. We were made for a time as this. <laughs> like it is time for us to stand up." And I was like, "Am I supposed to be out here? I think I'm supposed to go, but I'm scared." And there's COVID. Like you said, here's your sign and sanitizer. But I'm like, "My man, yeah. my goals. Am I gonna lose my job?" <laughs> so, uh, like, so many things. I mean, let me go ahead and sit here and do my job. I don't know. <laughs> Look, I'm gonna so, pray for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lord, protect these kids while they out here. Help yeah. them not to get arrested. Like, exactly. But it's it is. It's a different time. It's a different time. But yeah, I think it's it's making way for. I don't want to say it can't get worse. Cause shoot. It could get worse. I mean, it could get worse, but I'm just praying for it to be better. Like, Lord, just let us figure it out. Let us figure it out down here um, so that we can we can live it. Like, we'll never live in peace because we still live on war on earth. There's right. No, we're not going to, we're going to have hardships. We're going to have issues. We already know that much, yeah. you know? Yeah. But let us at least learn to see each other as people. Exactly. Exactly. So how the Lord sees us. That's all. Let us just see each other's people. Exactly. And and yeah, we all know it's it's one person at a time. Mm -hmm. One person at a time making a difference in the circle of influence where mm -hmm. we are. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And we can just plant one seed because you never know what you plant into somebody else's life, how it's gonna sow out and what they're gonna plant and feed into somebody else. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So we still we all have a part to do and a part to play. Yeah. Like we can that responsibility for just our part. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And then it'll be a better place. It really will. That's it. Duh. <laughs> well, Robbie, you know what? Our conversation has been completely different than anything that we yes, talked about. Thought it would be. <laughs> However, I I wouldn't change it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Thank you for taking time out of your week and out of your schedule to sit down and talk to me today. Most definitely, most definitely. Thank you. So, um, and thanks everybody for hanging in here with us this evening or morning uh, for our conversation. I hope it blesses you because it was really a blessing to me tonight. Like, most definitely. Thank you so much. We had so much fun. Look, feel free. Call me anytime. I will. No, I will. I got your number now. (laughs) So, yes. 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 All right. Well, we'll see you next time here on We Just Talking. Thanks.